This is the story of America's bloodiest prison, told by the people who lived it, both inside and outside its gates. The brutal history as you've never heard it before, from its origin as a slave plantation to its gradual growth as the bloodiest maximum security prison in America. To those outside its gates, it's known as Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola. But to those who have spent time inside its gates, it's known as Bloody Angola. Come with us as we take you through the gates and give you a first-hand look at not only the stories of the stabbings, rapes, executions, escapes, and murders you won't find on any TV show or the internet, but also the murders, abductions, attacks, and hostage situations of the staff and their families, otherwise known by the convicts as free people. Bloody Angola is a comprehensive, no hold barred podcast that takes you on a journey through time from its inception as a slave plantation to America's largest maximum security prison, where 80% of its population will die inside the wire. Get mentally prepared. Sit back and listen as we cover these stories in detail in ways that you've never heard before from people that lived it, breathed it, and died with it. Bloody Angola. Warning, Bloody Angola is a podcast covering actual events and is intended for mature audiences. The subject matter discussed in no way reflects the personal opinions of the host or sponsors of this podcast. Thank you. Hey everyone, I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. And we want to welcome all of you to the new podcast, Bloody Angola. Nobody can say that like Woody Overton can, I'm going to tell you. The first thing we want to do with this first episode is kind of have an introduction of what we're going to talk about, the premise of this podcast, which me and Woody both share a big affinity for, and that is the prison system, in particular state prisons, and even more in particular, local state prisons. Right, right. and then the actual criminal mind. Yeah, set of it, even the free people, right? Yeah. The, I think this podcast was going to be so interesting because we're going to delve into things that and take you inside the gates of Angola, bloody Angola, and tell you things that you've never heard before. Right. And it won't only consist of the stories that, uh, that maybe 
inmates that have passed away now that Woody's going to tell and only the way Woody can tell it, uh, but also an interview format podcast back and forth with people who may be still in Angola. That's right. Or people who have worked death row or people who have witnessed executions or people who have been part of the riots. Um, the one thing you're going to get on Blunty Angola that you'll get nowhere else, it'll always be different and it'll always be something that is interesting and shocking, if you will. Yeah, it's uh, there's a reason it's even titled Bloody Angola. Uh, and what do you can kind of tell a little bit about that? They actually, Angola or Louisiana State Penitentiary, um, was known as the bloodiest prison in the world during the early 70s. So it was actually called Bloody Angola. Yeah, and a, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of rape, a lot of killings, right. but guards you know, and inmates. Absolutely. And the, I think one thing most people don't know or are not aware of is you don't even get sentenced to Angola in the state of Louisiana unless you get 80 years plus. Okay. That means you're going to die there. Yeah. Now, most people there, of approximately 5,500 inmates, over 5,000 have uh, at least one life sentence. Yeah. Yeah. But wrap your mind around that. And uh, so it's it's an atmosphere where a lot of these inmates don't have much to lose. Oh, they have nothing to lose. I mean, how many life sentences can you do? Right. right. So what is it if you rape or, or stab a guard? And what are they going to give you? Another life sentence? Let's talk about the history and the mindset of the people, not only the people who get sentenced there, and that, you know, when they go through that gate, that's the last time they're ever going to leave unless they have a court appearance or something, but they're going to die there. And, um, and then the people who work there, a lot of them are generational. My mother was raised on what they call the B-Line, which is where the free people live inside the gates of Angola. Um, and it's just a whole different world. If I had one thing to share with the, the listeners, Jim, it would be that visual image and the smell and everything. When you go inside, the air doesn't even smell the same. And everything, it's a whole different world. The The prisoners live by the culture. It, it, it's a whole different mindset. Yeah, when, when you think of institution and institutionalized, Angola is what pops up in my mind. And you bring it interesting perspective in your not only your family history but for those listeners and viewers out there that may not be familiar with real life real crime and and woody overton you bring a lot of experience in the law enforcement field to this podcast yeah and i actually started with the department of corrections and funny say institutionalized after um i left the department of corrections and I used to say it when you were there as, as a guard or a CO, a correctional officer, you were doing time. Really, you were 12 hours a day. Uh, there, of course, the inmates or, or the convicts were there for 24 hours a day. But I would come to a door, and you have to be buzzed through or use a key. When I left the Department of Corrections, I found myself in the public, and I'd get to a door, and I'd stop. Yeah. And wait for somebody to buzz me through because I was institutionalized. Wow, that's amazing. So Woody brings a ton of that experience uh, with him to this show. Me personally, I also have a podcast, Local Leaders, the podcast, as well as I produce other other podcasts such as Real Life, Real Crime. 
and, and Scorch Justice. And Scorch Justice. I am the managing editor for them, and uh, and Hustle, Hustle makes, makes it, it happen. happen. Great guys. Yep. So uh, so I bring that experience from podcasting, but also I am a lifelong historian uh, self. I guess you could say self titled historian of prisons. Uh, in particular, just something that's always interested me, and I've I've done a ton of reading since I was twelve years old on the prison system. Right, and then the so you have a passion for it. Right? Yes, and I have the passion for it. I've been inside of it, but you you have the historian's passion for it. Yeah. And what, what on today's episode, y'all are going to get a taste of that because Jim brought research and found things that I didn't even know about it. Bloody Angola before. Bloody Angola. Yeah, and I think uh, that you know the main takeaway you're going to get from the majority, if not all, of these podcasts is a unique look you will not find anywhere else in the uh, the media realm. This is something that uh, I believe it or not, I researched for a long time to kind of see if I could find a show that's similar. There, it doesn't exist. That's right. I couldn't find anything, so sit, I guess sit back, relax, and, and get ready as we kind of dive into a side of the prison system that you're absolutely not going to believe. Yeah, and I, and again, I can't make you understand enough um, how different of a world it is when you go through the gates. And the things we're going to tell you, a lot of it will be shocking, but it's all going to be true. I told you, Jim, from the story inside and the research that he's done, I've known Angola my entire life. My family's there. Like I said, my mother was raised there. My grandfather was the first parole officer to ever live on the grounds of Angola back in the 50s. And my other grandfather was the prosecuting judge. If, if you commit a crime inside Angola, like you stab somebody, you rape somebody, et cetera, it, what they call a street crime, you get prosecuted in the local jurisdiction. And my grandfather, my dad's dad, was the judge who handled those cases back in the 50s and 60s. But I want we want to start today with some fascinating information about how bloody Angola came to be. What a lot of people don't know is that, is that Angola, uh, as you know it today, Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola, actually started off located in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And uh, this was, this was you know, many years ago, 1835 to be exact. The walls, as it was known, were built in Baton Rouge. And there was a distinct reason for that, uh, that 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 was put together, Woody. And, and I know you know a little bit about that. I do. The, the, so, y'all, the walls is what Angola was known as before it was Angola, right? And we'll get to why Angola is called Angola. But um, the walls in 1835, and I think about that, that's approximately 30 years before the Civil War starts, right? And they always say you can judge society, your society by how you treat your inmates. Well, I guarantee you, I, would, I don't want to go to Angola. I damn sure wouldn't want to be on the walls. The Louisiana legislature appropriated approximately $15,000 to build the walls in 1835. Now, think about that, y'all. In 1835, $15,000 would have been like $15 million today. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of money, right? But the even though they appropriate the money for it, they use the inmates to build it. So the inmates actually made the bricks by hand 
to build the walls that made it the walls. That's right. And, and you know, to put that into perspective and especially the time frame, this is only 40 years after the country was founded. After, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it, the, this was a young country and, uh, and, as most young countries uh, struggle with, they had crime and things like that, and they were locking people up, some for not right reasons. I mean, yeah. obviously, racial equality Absolutely. was non-existent in those days. Uh, so they found, an, they found an overcrowding problem in New Orleans yeah. that was causing another problem. Yeah. The, uh, so when they housed them in New Orleans, it was so overcrowded, the health situation, it, it was Uncharted. People would go screaming if they heard about this today or if it happened today, like inside the prison, Orleans Parish prison, wherever that, whatever they called it back then when they housed them. Then wasn't it they had 10 rats for every inmate? Yeah. So the just <laughs> infested, it absolutely infested with vermin. And even back then, I mean, they look. They did a lot of crazy things that we'll get into, such as convict leasing. Yeah, How about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a big deal. Uh, but yeah, they had a they had a health issue there with uh, well, the rats were just pretty much eating the convicts. Yeah, that's right, and they ten they, to one. They'd be sleeping at night, wake up to a rat nibbling on your ear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and look, even today, you can go to New Orleans, you see a rat. Yeah, some of them are the size of people. I know. Right? So imagine ten of them. No doubt. No doubt. So they do. They they uh, they appropriate this money, and they're going to build the walls. And that was that was built in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, and downtown Baton Rouge. Yeah, on Sixth uh, and Laurel Street. Sixth and Laurel Street, yeah, the, which, uh, which used to be back in the day that that was you know only part of Baton Rouge there was. So it was a happening place. So to think about putting the state prison downtown where every all the population was all the business were etc that's kind of out the box you, you wouldn't do that today as we've been saying throughout this episode it's called the walls and the reason for that is what he mentioned earlier was the bricks were handmade by the prisoners that was a way to save money uh you know even though they were appropriating a lot of money to this project uh in those times that was a way to save some, and they actually built, you know, a square structure that was totally surrounded by brick walls. Uh, and the what really shot me in the research of this was the size of the cells. Yes, six feet by three feet. Now, look, I'm I used to be six two. I'm six one now because I've been shrinking. But six <laughs> feet by three feet, dude, that's not even like a sleeping bag size. Yeah, yeah. So they were stacking them in. Deep. So imagine those conditions. Kind of take yourself back to that day. Look, no electricity, no electricity, no running water, no AC, no, no nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and these prisoners are just stacked in deep to get them out of New Orleans. And the walls uh, eventually became built and started functioning. At What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. As a prison, once it was built, the what do you do, right? So, you know, can't just leave them housed in the six foot by three foot cell all day long. They do what even is being done today at Angola. They put them to work. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and try to um, make them pay for themselves. Right. Because they, even back then, people hated a criminal and they were like, hey, use them up and it makes some money off of them. That's right. And, and uh, you know, what were the big commodities in those days? Well, obviously, cotton. cotton right? Yeah. yeah. Any textile. Cotton, type. wool, whatever. Yep. yep. So uh, what can prisoners do? Well, they can make lots of cotton uh, sweaters or whatever. And, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. Like, um, where I'm from, East Feliciana Parish, back in that time, the it still now has the oldest functioning courthouse in the state. But back th- at that time, they had a railroad that ran from Clinton to downtown Baton Rouge and was strictly to haul cotton. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so these inmates could turn it into whatever, right? And sell it. Yeah. And that was the way for the state to start uh, attempting to make uh, the walls self sufficient. Right. Uh, that way they don't have to continue to pay for it. And people don't have to say, hey, I'm spending all my money on prisoners to house them in Baton Rouge of all places. And, and, and they tried. And, it, uh, um, again, the taxpayers, you lock a prisoner away. You don't want to think about them again, yeah. and, but you don't want to also think about, hmm, you know what? I'm paying all this money to house this dude. So even back then they were trying to make it self-sufficient, but they failed. Yeah. And and don't fool yourself into thinking this was just male prisoners. There were female oh, prisoners yeah. involved. Yeah. Some estimated five percent of prisoners of the walls were female. And the craziest thing that you found that I read blew my mind. If you were a female prisoner inside the walls and you got raped and you got pregnant, that baby that you had became property of the state of louisiana and they would sell it they uh, sell it as a slave and you, you couldn't couldn't be prosecuted for being raped totally blew my mind crazy yeah i mean uh you know this was a, obviously a long time ago but it, it really wasn't not in the not in the length of the history of this world you know you're only talking maybe four generations separate right. uh our generation from that generation these people were Having a baby in prison, it automatically you don't own that baby. Right. It becomes product of the but state. The, I mean, like you said, though the the even back then they were using inmates as guards too. But the if you were a female, holy shit, I can imagine. I mean, you know, you get raped. Oh yeah. I, I mean, guys get raped in prison every day. But if I'm a well, you know, if I'm a prisoner. And is uh, in 1835, and I can rape you as a female and get away with it. Yeah, nobody's gonna prosecute you. Um, yeah, you'd know, be knocking out babies every nine months. Oh, I'm sure, and I'm sure a lot of these women just submitted to that, right? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing. Maybe they used it as former trade or whatever. I don't know, but the fact it was the law. Yeah, it was the law. You get raped, you have a baby inside the walls. We take your baby and we sell it. Now, y'all remember this before the Civil War when uh, 
slave trade, unfortunately, as, as it was, it was a very real deal. Yeah. And, and human beings were commodity. Oh, it was awful. As the walls was progressing along, uh, the state realized we got a problem. Um, yeah, we're doing some things to try to turn some money over to, to make this prison self-sufficient, but it just ain't happening. So they had another idea. And this just really blew my mind, and that is convict leasing. So tell us tell us a little bit about that. So the, the first lease that the state entered into with a company was McHadden, Pratt, and Company. All right, yeah. and the the prisoners were uh, McHadden and Pratt would pay the state X amount of dollars per prisoner, and that prisoner would go to work yeah. for that company. Right, the, uh, and uh, naturally it was the worst conditions it could be, and and basically a slave again the, um but you'd be at least from the state of louisiana under the they were they were forced to work under the harshest conditions let's say i was gonna lease the prisoner i would agree to house them and feed them and clothe them in exchange for their labor uh, but in the rest of the prisoners who remained at the wall they worked and maintained the prison grounds and manufactured clothing and shoes for prisoners in the factories but the the convict leasing thing crazy yeah absolutely crazy i mean like this is a state the state leasing these uh, this ain't the black market you know i'm gonna give you five dollars and i'm gonna now own james for the year and he's gonna be my butler right or whatever or whatever they did with him who knows yeah flip that back to you might want to lease some female prisoners and run a brothel yeah Uh, i mean shit who knows i'm sure it happens no oversight i can promise you that like we say a state sponsored program where they would basically just lease them out to pick cotton do whatever it is dig ditches whatever it is they needed done and the state saw it as our biz our biggest expense is to food and clothe these guys that's right and uh, they wanted to offset that so basically they did legalize slavery was legal then anyway but they legitimized slavery even the person didn't own the slave. I'm giving you X amount of dollars, state of Louisiana. I basically own this person. I'm going to house them. I'll clothe them. I'll feed them. I mean, if, if it was my person, mindset being back then, I'm leasing them. It's like leasing a car, like a rental, a rental car, right? Who, you know, who is not going to trash a rental car? What do they do to these people? Yeah, just a, a crazy situation and, and continued for many years. And then, uh, and look, this this wasn't just limited to the walls. This went in on went on in prisons all over the country. Right. Once once they figured out, wow, this is a way to make money. So in in uh, you know, eventually the Civil War came along. That's right. And during the American Civil War, the walls was occupied by the Union Army. Right. Yeah. And, well, everybody knows that New Orleans gave up pretty much without a fight. They come to Baton Rouge next, and the Union took over Baton Rouge. While it was being occupied, a, a musket ball landed in the prison yard in the, inside <laughs> the walls. And then they decided, oh, oh shit, <laughs> get them out of here. And the city, they shipped all the prisoners to New Orleans. Yeah, so the problem was, shit, if they're going to start uh, shooting cannonballs, musket balls, and all yeah. that stuff in the prison, these prisoners are going to escape. Right, but the, the, but the thing is, too, they didn't want them getting killed because that was the source of it. Of income, that to pay for very themselves. good point. Yeah, um, and this y'all they stayed in New Orleans until around 1866 when the Civil War ended. Yeah, point, and now we're getting around to where Angola was born. Right, uh, 
what they basically did was it continued with that convict leasing program. And they had a guy by the name of, he was actually a Confederate major. His name was Samuel James. And Samuel James basically went to the state and said, look, I've got a plantation. Uh, it is Angola Plantation. It's, uh, I don't know if he told them exactly where it was located, but but Woody, you can kind of tell them, tell them where Angola Plantation was located. Y'all, for you, those of you who don't know, Angola Plantation was located um, technically in West Feliciana Parish, and it was thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. Uh, so what happened, y'all, it's now 1870. Civil War's over. You got no more slave labor, right? Lincoln, Lincoln freed the slaves. No more slave labor, but still but, but you had in the state of Louisiana is all this cotton. Now who's going to work it, right? Samuel Samuel. James goes to the state of Louisiana and says, hey, I got a genius idea. Send me your downtrodden and dirty yeah. bastards, and I'll put them to work at, <laughs> on my plantation, right? And so basically the uh, where the name Angola came from was most of the inmates or convicts that were there were from Angola, Africa, and that's where they got it, the name Angola from. Yeah, that's right. So it was it was essentially just a workaround on slavery. So essentially, you couldn't just go up to any any person of color and say, "Hey, uh, you're going to be my slave now," or or right. sell them. But uh, if you were a prisoner, you had no rights. Right. Your rights were gone, and so the state basically said, uh, "You know, you pay us some money, and they can work your plantation, and everybody will be happy." Yep. And that's that's essentially what happened. Uh, the walls, as it were known, kind of became a a paperwork point, I guess, for lack of a better term. That's where these prisoners were kind of transfer into the prison system, and then Angola Plantation would in turn take them and right. put them in the field. And, and today, that would be like Hunt's Corrections. Everybody that gets sentenced to the Department of Corrections goes to Hunt first to be processed. So the walls back then kind of became the hunts for the processing center. And, of course, Samuel L. James wanted the laborers, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there was a there was an end game for him. He, it, was, it was pretty much guaranteed if you got sentenced to the Department of Corrections back then, your ass was going to Angola. <laughs> That's right. And so the, the, the James lease is what it was called. It, it ushered in a new direction for corrections to Louisiana and where they con, the conditions – or accountability or transparency and the lease were ignored. The, the, the political officials didn't give a shit. They, they, all they knew is these guys, bad guys were gone. We're not having to pay for them. Good riddance. That's right. And, and uh, so that continued and it, it worked out well for, for Mr. James and, and uh, you know, so good in fact that it became known as the James prison camp. That's right. That's right. Uh, Instead of, you know, Angola Plantation still had the name, but it was pretty much referred to as the James Prison Camp because he was taking every prisoner he could get Absolutely. to work these thousands of acres. Yeah, right? but not, not only that, you know, the black inmates were subleased to other plantations as well as worked on Angola, but they also worked on the levees and railroads and road construction. But the white inmates who were seen at the time as being more intellectual or uh, were given kind of 
white collar jobs, if you would, as clerks or craftsmanship work and stuff like that. It was, uh, and you know, to to put this plainly, folks. I mean, think about this for a second. You know, it's the it's the mid eighteen eighties at this point. You're in um, you're in South Louisiana. It's 150 degrees outside oh, during a good summer. Yeah. And all you did, you had no rights. All you, they worked you literally to, to death. death. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and under the harshest conditions, right. I mean, you can't get to a hotter place than South Louisiana in the summertime. Yeah. And you, you weren't getting three hots and a cot back then. You were lucky uh, if you got what is like a pound of cornmeal or something they gave yeah. you. Yeah. And they had to cook their own shit. And yeah. then, the conditions I can only imagine, right? Uh, uh, where they would be in house, et cetera. But let's take it back for a second. You have to remember before the Civil War, one of the reasons Louisiana was so rich is because of the plantations. And yeah. everywhere you go, I mean, there's a lot more uh, plantations that were bigger and more famous, like Homer's House and whatever, all the ones on the river, but they were everywhere. And they still are in East West Louisiana. And it's still agriculture is the main thing. But back then, there were no tractors. Shit, they, they couldn't even afford horses after the Civil War. But they, Cotton they, Jim wasn't they, even, they, even invented yet. That's right. <laughs> but they uh, damn sure could get a sublease from uh, James, right, and, and to have their place worked. Yeah, and they're hand-picking this cotton. By I mean, uh, you know, by hand. Holy smack. And have you ever seen the pictures of that, Jim? Oh, my God. bags trailing behind them and yeah. picking and the hands bleeding. I mean, cotton is not something that's easy to pick. Right? Yeah, that's right. And and I'll tell you, uh, I just went to Natchitoches recently. And to tell you, for you folks that aren't from Louisiana, obviously we have a, a huge population of plantations here. Right. Uh, we, you know, back in those days, cotton was the, uh, the gold of was, today, I guess. Was, that's, that's, I mean, it was, white gold. That's yeah. Exactly what it was. Yeah. yeah. The commodity. So it, it, it was everywhere in Natchitoches even, but, which is not necessarily South Louisiana. The, but it wasn't, it was okay. So Louisiana picked the cotton, but mm-hmm. it wasn't used, um, or so profitable for being used in Louisiana. It was, they, they manufactured and they shipped it to Europe yeah. where they couldn't grow their own cotton. Right, yeah. they shipped it around the world, and that's what made them so rich. You had to have slaves or slave labor yeah. from something like a convict yeah. system in order to accomplish right. that. At, at, especially after the Civil War, before that, you had generations of slaves that were raised on these plantations. Um, some of them were horrible and treated as slaves and whipped them and and you know hung them and all that. But some of them treated them as family members. As you know, but they worked for them for generations until they were free. That's right. War. They kept functioning this way for a while. And then uh, I guess you could say some people got got uh, the red ass for right. the the conditions that even these prisoners were were under working in these fields. And look, probably, I, you know, obviously I wasn't alive back then, but probably a lot of those prisoners were were in there for reasons that weren't even legit. Oh, yeah, lot, yeah, I mean, absolutely. the court system oh, wasn't oh, you, what it, you, you what it is. You looked at a white lady, shipping man, go. I mean, that's, just, yeah. that's the way it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and again, the local law enforcement, it was an attaboy for them. Uh, they kept the status quo. State of Louisiana got the, the free labor. Yeah. And those plantations, they had to have them to even function. Like in 1886, the conditions for the inmates in Angola and the and the levee crews and the railroad uh, work sites were so harsh under the James um, 
support and, and leasing. And James had the the backing of the governor, right? Yeah. And but he forced them to work harder and longer, and their debts began rising. And, and finally, even the decent public, uh, the decent folk were like, "Holy shit, this is wrong," because uh, yeah. the, uh, they could see it. And that's when the, uh, it led to the first prison reform ever in the state of Louisiana. And the association began in New Orleans by a group of concerned citizens who hated the convict leasing system for which James O'Gorman was super rich. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was their that was their bread and butter. And and uh, this group saw a big issue with that. And and uh, I'm sure, Woody, it was a situation where, you know, you got to wrap your mind around. They don't care. Uh, the James family or, or whoever the higher ups were in that organization could really care less. You were a prisoner. That's right. You were, you were a commodity. Yeah. yeah. So their, their response to, Hey, these are harsh conditions is, well, it's a prison. That's right. And they give just enough to keep them alive, keep them fed so where they can work and, and produce you money. Now, not only was James making it off of Angola, the thousands, and probably, I think it was like 18,000 acres back then. But the not only was he making the money off of that, he was making it off all the subleasing to the railroad crews, the levee crews, and all the other plantation owners. Now, here's the deal. James is getting the money. Don't think for a second he wasn't kicking it back to the governor and the local politicians that protected him until this public outcry came, right? I think that's where the key comes in, right. Woody, is is the governor was was his boy. Right. <laughs> for lack yeah, of a better term, they and were they, boys. They, I guarantee the governor had a few dollars in his pocket. Too, oh, yeah. The program, as was coming back then. Common everywhere. And, uh, and so he kind of let them function, even though – Technically, some of that stuff wasn't legal that they were doing, I'm sure. Uh, he allowed them to function because he was getting kicked back. Uh, absolutely. And everybody was getting kicked back. But in 1898, they finally, people were pissed off, and they came out with a constitutional ban on of convict leasing uh, for the first time. So they were no, no, you couldn't do it. 1898, the Constitution of the state of Louisiana stated, no convict sentenced to the state penitentiary shall ever be leased. And that began effective at the end of James's lease term. Yeah. So his lease comes up, and and James is like, oh, "Shit, I can't do this anymore." They've yeah. they've passed this law, this this lobbying group, uh, you know, that is totally against me using this labor in this way, has now lobbied and stopped uh, stopped this from from being able to happen anymore. The convict leasing program. So he turns to the state, and he basically says. Want to want to buy it? <laughs> yeah, no doubt, right? <laughs> because he can't make money with it anymore. Right, right. If you don't have those prisoners, you cannot make money anymore. Right. Because you, yeah, folks, there were no machines. They were they were the commodity. They did everything. They, they were, did everything. They, they were the machines. They were the machine. They were the money makers. And in 1900, the state of Louisiana bought Angola Plantation from the James family, and the Louisiana State Pen at Angola was born. And that's where it gets good, brother. Holy shit. That's <laughs> the, what do you say? This is a podcast. 142 years in the making. Now think about that. Holy shit. Yeah. And and think about this, too. You know, 142 years, that's that's about five generations, six generations separating, you know, mine from theirs. Yeah. Um, and it's crazy. And my it my family goes there. back five generations in East Feliciana Parish. Yeah. So, the uh, that's, I mean, I— it's really not that long. Yeah. yeah. And and if you think, 
conditions improved, no. <laughs> you you'd be mistaken. And it just it's just began, right? The, the, uh, I bet there were a whole lot of days they wish they would have been leased out on the railroad crews and the road crews and all that because once they put up the fences at Angola and they put them to work, holy shit, then it became really bad because James no longer, he, he sold Angola Plantation to the state of Louisiana to be used as the Louisiana State Penitentiary. So then the inmates, while they still worked them, they really didn't give a shit. That's right. They didn't care. That's right. They didn't care. And so you may be wondering what happened to the walls. And uh, and it, it remained around as a kind of a paperwork point for a few years. Of uh, Eventually, uh, I believe it was 1919, they just went ahead and decided to tear it down. They wanted to make make a development in, in uh, and I believe that might have been the courthouse in Baton Rouge now, the federal courthouse area, right. uh, which was all where that the the walls were located uh in 1919 they they tore it all down except for one particular building which you can still go see today and that they call the uh the warden's house people that hear this that are even from here from baton rouge will be shocked to know that there is a state penitentiary in baton rouge right i didn't know i've lived downtown uh, in spanish town uh at a certain point, and as big as a historian I am, especially about Angola, I did not know about the walls. Yeah. I, I knew about the M8 leasing system and all that, but I didn't know about the walls. I certainly didn't know about the females uh, being raped and being legal in Louisiana law. Um, the babies were, became property of the state to be sold as slaves. Yeah. The conditions, crazy. But before the Civil War, the convicts ate and slept in those small cells, in, which they called foot. Um, they have seven by four foot cells and, and some were six by three, but they had a 12 inch grate opening in a solid iron door. And they walked everywhere with a ball and chained at the ankles when they were outside the cell. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't move without a ball and chain. That's crazy shit. You think about that. People say, Oh, the old ball and chain. No, you really didn't want to have that shit. I, I, a lot of times they would carry it. They didn't drag the, the ball behind them because it tear the skin on their ankles. So they really walked around with this chain and this 20-pound ball. I mean, you weren't going to run very far with a 20-pound ball tearing your your skin. Right? Yeah, your yeah. You're not getting far. And, and look, the doors, it wasn't regular cells. It was right. big iron picture, iron a big iron door with a little grate uh, that they would, I guess, pass your food through or whatever they were doing. But – just a little small grate in there where you could see the outside world, and that was your world. That's, That's it. And, and, and unless you were fortunate enough to get out and, and work. That Samuel James, who ended up selling Angola to the state of Louisiana, but he had the lease system and everything, he was a Confederate major yeah. during the Civil War. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. There you go. He, he, yeah. I mean, add that to the to just the the entire story. I mean, and, and, it, it all and, makes to, sense. So, how he. He looked at African Americans anyway. Yeah, the, the they were property. They were property. That's right. They were property. So yeah, and uh, I said this earlier about the one pound of cornbread and wheat, or some type of meal per day. Now, nowadays they get three hots, and they have dietitians and everything. Everything's calorically straight and all this stuff. And actually, the prison food angle is that bad. <laughs> but the back then. Holy shit! You got a pound of corn uh, cornbread. You got to make it yourself. Then you got to fight other inmates to, to over the fire to, to make your shit. Yeah, and I'm sure that corn 
meal had a lot of worms and stuff, and I guess that was protein. Oh, Lord. Yeah, good point. Uh, but they, the outer walls of y'all rose three stories above the ground, and like Jim said, they formed a giant square, but the foundation sank three feet below the ground and were five feet thick at the base, creating virtually a barrier that you just couldn't get out of. Yeah, there's a, the, which is exactly what they were aiming for, and just a complete square. And, and, and they made it. Now, y'all – Think about this for a second, because even the, the plantation homes, they were built by slave labor. They, You see the ponds besides these large plantations? That's where slave labor literally dug out the red clay, formed up the bricks by hand, fired them in the oven, and then they put them. Most of the plantation homes, the walls are three feet thick yeah. with bricks, hand-laid brick. The walls here, holy shit. Yeah, you weren't charged. You're not. You didn't have a spoon anyway. You're not clawing your way out of uh, five feet thick. Yeah, ain't no Andy Dufresne getting. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) bullshit's gone. Yeah, yeah. But the the guards back then, shit, they didn't play. Now, I'll get into the rules of guards and weapons and everything. But but back to the walls again. While we're on it, the guards were armed with muskets and pistols and even swords. And look, they they shoot they shoot somebody in a second. They didn't give a shit. There was no. no accountability. Like you didn't have to write a report back then when you shot somebody. No, uh, they were like, "Hey, uh, hey, uh, prisoner, do such such." F you, boss man. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Smoking like a pack of schools. <laughs> other than they didn't want to lose their uh, their commodity, their labor. That's right. That's that's what stopped them from doing it. But the or anything else. As, as shitty as conditions were, the each male convict wore a pinstriped uniform and was required to shave two times a week. And each one of them had to have a haircut at least once a week. Yeah. Shit, I don't shave twice a week. <laughs> I, I don't get a haircut, don't get a haircut, once, haircut a week. once a week. <laughs> That's pretty great. Well, I guess they want to um, put a good face on their commodity. I don't know. Yeah. And, and look, those pinstripe uniforms just like you – you know, you dress up for See, Halloween yeah, that's and right. you wear the – that's that's what it was. And that tough distinguished stuff. you as, hey, I'm a, I'm a prisoner at the walls. Tough stuff, tough times. And yeah. I don't imagine uh, – I, I know once they got to Angola, uh, most of them not only didn't get out, most of them didn't live. Due yeah. to, uh, uh, the, the, the groups that did the reform to end the convict leasing system – I think their hearts were in the right place. They just made it so much worse. Yeah. So I mean, when once they once you're confined to Angola and you can never be leased to anyone else, well, what they do with you then? Yeah, yeah. You were essentially in the same situation. Yeah, and, but and, uh, but even worse because you're you're making the you're becoming self sufficient, if you will, and, and making the states some money grow off of the vegetables and everything that they grew, but the if you weren't, they didn't care. They, they I, I don't think that they, where you went out in the public and you worked and you made that cash money every day for the state or, or the the lease or when you're an uh, inmate behind the, the gates, if you will, in Angola, yeah. if you die, shouldn't replace them. Yeah. They, they'll have another one coming in by horse and, and wagon next week, another hundred. That's right. And uh, and so we we thought it was important today to uh, really just set the stage of how Angola came to be. Probably the most historic prison in the country, uh, arguably. And, and, uh, boy, do we have some stories to tell you. The the, the one thing 
you're going to get people is the craziest stuff you've ever heard uh, or have never heard uh, before. And you never know what you're going to get week to week. But again, we started this week with the history. A lot of it I didn't know. And Jim Rock that. Um, it's fascinating, right? But the as we progress, and we may not always go in a chronological order, but as we progress, I think your minds are going to be blown and you'll love every episode of Bloody Angola. Yeah, everything from the executions to the... Well, how about, y'all think about this. this. This will definitely be an episode one day I was thinking about last night, Jim. What is the last meal each one of the, the, the convicts ate before they were executed? They, you know, they get yeah. whatever you want. Yeah. They, they, they get their last meal. Yeah. That shit fascinates me. Yeah. And I have the list of everything. They have one inmate that's, that's a trustee cool. that's assigned just to cook the, the walking dead, if you will, the, the, the one that's about to be executed. Yeah. That's all he does is cook their last meal. Wow. Yeah. That's intriguing. That yeah. One of many, right? Yeah. And that's, that's just one of the many, many stories you're going to hear. Rapes. Hear. How about, how about, um, when I was in corrections, some of the worst, and it, I guess there's good, bad in every profession, but some of the people you worked with were worse than the convicts. Yeah. And those are the ones who, uh, and we were going to tell the stories about smuggling guns and one guy smuggling in a 22 pistol up his anus and, and gave it to an inmate or to a convict for a breakout. These are the stories you're going to hear that you never read about, never heard about. The, the kidnappings, the abductions, the rapes, the murders, the drug trade, the um, how the convicts look at uh, sexual relations. And, um, and I'll just throw that out there real quick. Uh, naturally, you have a lot of homosexuals that are in there, but even majority of the mindset is I'm a straight male. I can yeah. have sex with this guy as long as I'm in prison. It doesn't make me gay. He's gay for this day. <laughs> yeah. But the, not in their mind. And, and, and inside, the, inside the prison walls, is a whole different world, people. And we're going to bring yeah. it to you on Bloody Angola. That's right. So look forward soon. We appreciate all y'all listening. So look forward to, uh, to bringing y'all some awesome, awesome content on Bloody Angola, Woody. Uh, it's going to be fun. So excited, bro. And yeah. I, I can't I, – we do it justice in giving all the listeners – the inside, the walls, bloody angle. That's right? it. So anywhere, y'all, you you can listen to a podcast. Go like and subscribe to us and all that good stuff. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, like, subscribe on all your social media networks. Uh, get you know, if you like this episode, uh, please review it. Give us a give us a little rating on uh, on iTunes. Hey, even if you didn't like it. Even leave, if you didn't like it, yeah. <laughs> leave us yeah. that too. We'll take what, whatever we can get. And bro. I can tell you this, on the episodes to come, y'all, this is going to be the most calm, generic thing episode you're going to hear on Bloody Angola because a lot of stuff we're going to talk about is going to be really harsh. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't want to give you too much of that yeah, goodness all in one episode. We not want to see you running with your hair on fire just yet. <laughs> That's uh, right. Episode two. That's right. So thank y'all for watching. We'll see you next time. Thank y'all. Love you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.